Blog Talk Radio. General Quarters, Security Condition 3. Thank you. Security 3, sir. General Quarters 3, Intruder Alert. GQ 3, Intruder Alert. Oh, I assure you we do not have an intruder here in the floating genie bottle out in cyberspace. We do not have an intruder at all, or if so, it's a welcome intruder. Good evening. Welcome once again to Madame Perry's Salon, the podcast where fascinating people meet. I am your host, your groove mistress and spiritual advisor, Madam Perry. You can call me Jennifer, Jen, J.P., Perry. You don't have to call me Madam, but I am thrilled to be here. Thanks to everybody that's been listening, and especially all the new people I've picked up as listeners uh, and subscribers after going to Atlanta Steampunk Expo, and of course this year, my seventh year at Wild Wild West Con in Tucson, uh, I love steampunk people, and I love the costumes, and I just wish, like, it's just the best time of year going to Wild West, but now I'm going to branch out to some others, and they're just the most fun people, clever, creative, curious, and welcoming and warm. But anyway, also, uh, tonight's guest, I did talk about it, Atlanta Steampunk Expo. I have my talk about NASA and uh, NASA JPL. She's a space journalist and communications instructor. I put in the description that she is pursuing a PhD in aerospace sciences, but she's already a doctor in space science. Uh, where has she been? She's a writer at Universe Today regular contributor to space.com, Space Exploration Network, the NASA Lunar Science Institute, NASA Astrobiology Magazine, and Live Science. She has several books out. Why Am I Taller? She co-wrote with astronaut Dave Williams. Uh, leadership Moments from NASA. Canadarm and Collaboration. And if you don't know what Canadarm is, you are in for a – oh, you're in for a great surprise. Uh, the Search for Life on Mars, um, which is she wrote uh, with co-writer Nicholas Booth, and The Science of Time Travel, introduced for her first time, and hopefully not the last, to Madame Perry Salon, author, space journalist, and Dr. Elizabeth Howell. Welcome, Elizabeth. Jan, thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor to be here. Oh, thanks. Uh, well, Hi, welcome. The honor's all mine, and I am thrilled to have you here. I know that you've got to get to sleep early tonight, so I'm going to try not to keep you too late. I'm going to maybe let you go early, but there's so much to talk to you about, so we may have to beg and plead, and even I'm not above bribing you to come back again, so. You do take bribes, don't you? Well, uh, as a journalist, I have to be very careful about what I accept. So oh, we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, maybe, maybe a square of chocolate or something, you know, I think would be yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. Well, it's good to have you here. Um, as I told you, you know, I first discovered your work because um, at the suggestion of uh, – handsome hubby, that I researched uh, NASA JPL's combination or um, openness to accept ideas about from steampunk design for, I think, the uh, the Venus rover and such. And that led me to uh, your article on space.com about it, and which then led me into, <laughs> I was like, okay, I read 
I tried to find all the articles I could, but Elizabeth, yours was primo. And that just sent me into total Elizabeth Howell fandom. Uh, yeah, it was your article, Steampunk Venus Rover Ideas Win NASA Contest to Explore Hell with Clockwork Robots. So, were you surprised by that? And did you already know what steampunk was when you wrote that? I actually do. So a lot of my friends are artists, and they're the best people, the absolute best people. And one of the greatest things about being an adult is uh, sometimes you get to choose what's on your walls, and on my walls are my friends' art. So oh. all types of influences, yep. And so certainly I've been to many a Comic-Con many an art show. Uh, like I said, I have all styles of art all over my walls. Um, even just getting into little communities like steampunk or D- Dungeons and Dragons, they just introduced me to a world of diversity and fun. So um, so yes, I am aware of steampunk and it didn't surprise me, the analogy, just because I happen to know some pretty awesome people. Oh yeah, that's great. And which only, when you go, it only leads to a wider web, even more awesome people in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, because even just learning about some of the sci-fi and steampunk, then I've started meeting authors of color writing in the style of Afrofuturism. Exactly. And and then feminist sci-fi. And just, it's like, it's just like a banquet that never ends. You know, there's always something new. You know, um, that's really what I'm trying to show in my stories, because I firmly believe that in the world that I work in, in space and also anywhere else, we just have much better places to be if we have tons of folks there, tons of different types of folks there bringing in their perspectives. And it makes us a safer place to be. It also makes it a more interesting place to be. Um, some of my best friends are really different people. And I very much appreciate the perspectives that they bring in. I'm always learning from them. And uh, that's what I'm also trying to portray whenever I'm writing. Absolutely. Now, you began... Uh, well, let's say, did your inspiration come from um, wanting to be an astronaut when you were a kid? I mean, did you have any interest in space travel? Yes. Um, when I was a very young teenager, my last day of school, we were, this was the 90s, okay, just to kind of situate people. <laughs> school happened to have a VHS player, and the VHS player in the front office would go to all the classrooms. The feed from the VHS player would go to all the classrooms, and we each had a television. It was kind of weird. But anyway, there we were. And for whatever reason, somebody popped in the movie Apollo 13, and I know that you're obviously connected with folks in the entertainment industry, so the movie speaks for itself, right? It's such a fantastic movie dramatically, um, lots of lovely people in it, obviously. And um, what really spoke to me as a kid, I just saw the last half hour of it in class, but I just couldn't believe the way that they ratcheted up the tension during the landing or the splashdown, as they call it more properly. And just the way all the actors were reacting to each other, the special effects, it was just extraordinary. So I left school and uh, my mom was picking me up and I said to her, hey, is it possible for us to go to Blockbuster? I'm dating myself, but you know, so it's like, can we go to Blockbuster and get a copy of it? Because it is the last day of school. And so we went home, and we watched it probably that night. And all I remember is I said, I have to learn more about what this mission is about. So I marched myself to the library. Thank you to uh, what used to be the Nepean Public Library and now the Ottawa Public Library in Canada, where I live. And I just checked out every book I could. And I just kept learning and learning and learning and it never stopped. I'm still doing that today. <laughs> so anyway, that's, that's where it all started. It started with that movie. And as I'm sitting here talking to you, we're not on video, unfortunately, but the two posters, the one with the astronaut's face, who I think is Tom Hanks, and the other one with the stricken spacecraft going around the moon, they're both on my wall, like the biggest versions possible. And they just remind uh, me of what that was like. And then to try and convey the excitement to others. And... So you leave there, you're ready to go, you want to be in space, you know, you get the movie. And how did you come to the idea of, of being a space journalist? I mean, that was something that, of course, I went to school long before you. It would have never heard, never thought. But to know that you mm-hmm. could combine uh, talent with something that also that you love so much and have such a, uh, a strong interest in. Yeah. It's a good skill to have, I think, as a kid, because 
the more fields you explore, the more types of friends that you have, as we were talking about, it really exposes you to a lot of different ideas and it really helps. And so because I had friends, again, who were doing lots of different interesting things and because I had books, I just had a lot of good ideas coming into my brain, you know? So Mm -hmm. somewhere along the way, I figured out that I was feeling happy about writing. It just was something I felt comfortable in. I really expressed myself. I used to, this is when I was 13, 14, 15, I spent hours writing by hand in a journal just about my day and about things I was thinking about. So writing was always the way that I processed my thoughts, my feelings. Some people like art, um, meaning Mm -hmm. um, visual arts, right? Some people like sculpture, some people like dance, some like music, and with me, it was writing. So it just felt like my home. And what eventually happened, we're skipping over a bunch of years here, but when I got close to what you guys in the U.S. call college, what you folks in the U.S. call college more properly, um, we call it university here in Canada, um, I took on a volunteer opportunity. That's another thing I tried to do. I just tried to do different things. So I volunteered at the library for a while, for example. I volunteered for a group that um, worked with children who uh, had different abilities and um what we were doing was we were putting them on horses. They were very closely supervised, to be clear. We had five or six adults <laughs> surrounding them on the horses, and the horses were well-trained. But um, that was another good opportunity. It also exposed me to a lot of different uh, types of people. And then another thing I did was I volunteered for our community newspaper. Um, and it was such an honor to be there because uh, there actually was a relation to an astronaut working at that newspaper, as it turned out. So that became important. But I started to write about things that interested me and through that little job and it was a free job, right? It was volunteer. Um, I was making no money. It was going practically nowhere besides my community, but um, I got a lot of support. The editor actually wrote me at one point and said, you should be considering doing this for a living. And Ah. the, uh, the relative of the astronaut actually sat me down one day with my parents permission, but he, uh, he gave me a mission patch from, uh, from his, his, sibling's mission, you know, and he said, uh, you know, this is something that I don't want you to give away. And I said, oh, no, trust me, I'll always keep it. (laughs) And it's sitting on my wall right now. If that person happens to be listening, I'm keeping them anonymous so as to protect their privacy. But if they Uh ever run across this podcast, um, that patch is still on my wall, you know, almost uh, 30 years later. So it's not going anywhere with with the signed picture you gave me. So um, then I went to what uh, was one of the top journalism schools in Canada, and it was lucky. It was in my town that they accepted me, all this stuff, but the name is Carleton University, and uh, that's where I got started. I just kept writing about space. That was, I guess, about 2003 to 2007. So I'll take a pause. Any questions? (laughs) (laughs) And by the way, if you're uh, listening to us live tonight, and this is uh, March 28th, and it is uh, 7 p.m. Uh, what is it? TMT minus four with the ES with the daylight change. I don't know. Uh, and you want to talk to Elizabeth Howell? You can give us a call at 646-716-9922. It is a toll-free call in the continental U.S. Blog Talk Radio assures me. And if you can't. Because, Elizabeth, we've all been in this situation. If you're at a place where you can't make a phone call, like a job or something, or you're babysitting so you got to be quiet, you can always send a message uh, question into me through Facebook, either through Madam Perry's Salon or Jennifer Maudette Perry, and I'll be happy to share it with Elizabeth Howell. Um, so, yeah, that moment of the astronauts brother giving you the mission patch and sitting you down and talking to you, to me, that would have been almost like an anointing, you know, like it's it's coming from, from the heavens. This That is this true. Path. Yeah. It, it felt like one of those moments where you were struck by lightning, and I was still very young. Uh, you have to realize I wasn't even quite 20 at that time, so I was still very much in awe of what was going on. And I still feel that way now. You know, I'm in my 40s. It hasn't changed too much, but... To have somebody take you so seriously at such a young age really meant, well, the universe to me. And Mm -hmm. um, I try to remember that now because it's so important to recognize that people often know who they're about, what they're interested in um, at a very, very young age. And so if your three or four year old comes to you and says something, you've got to take them seriously because usually they mean it. You know, that's sort of the lesson I think I would take from that. Um, But yeah, anyway, I went to uh, I went to school. 
was lucky enough to work at the student newspaper. I got some internships. Um, and then I found myself in a situation where uh, the 2008 recession happened. And I know it really hammered a lot of us, um, especially in the entertainment industry, mm-hmm. but in journalism, too. And I was very young and I was inexperienced and it was tough to keep a job, right? So I just kept pivoting. I went to wherever it would take me. And I was very obviously fortunate that I kept landing work uh, enough to keep going. But um, what I eventually decided to do was to really hone in on the space niche. So I also have to pay tribute to my next university, which was the University of North Dakota. That's where I eventually got my doctorate, which you talked about there. They also took me seriously because at that point I was still in my 20s. But they, their job there was to take a multidisciplinary set of students and to really show them what the space community was about. And so they brought us into all these different fields through our classes. I learned about space law. You know, I, I never became a lawyer, obviously, but I learned about it. I learned enough to, you know, have an understanding of it, a uh, basic understanding. I learned about economics. I learned about um, the new space startups. Um, SpaceX was a name they brought up then, but it was kind of in a list of other companies. And think about how that's changed now, right? This is about 2010, I guess, when they told me, right? So um, while that was happening, I took my own money because I had a little bit of extra money at that time. Fortunately, they gave me financial support. And so... Because I got some scholarships over there, I had some extra money. So I said, how about I try going to some space shuttle launches before this program shuts down? So in 2010 and 2009, those two years, I went to three shuttle launches. And uh, that's when I really began to meet the other space journalists that you were mentioning there. So that's how I got in touch with my current employer at space.com. I got to know uh, Fraser Kane also at uh, Universe Today, who uh, you listened to earlier, I know and a bunch of other really nice people. And they all took me under their wing. I had mentors here in Canada as well. So I think it's also important to say that we grow in a community. And it's very important that as we go up the rungs of whatever ladder we've chosen, that we remember that and we try and serve the ones who need our help. And Mm -hmm. uh, I wouldn't be here without all these folks I'm mentioning. You know, there's probably a hundred people, you know, I could talk about from my family to all of my teachers to all the folks that I met in those early years. And it just meant a lot because it's a tough industry and it was a tough time. And uh, I'm sitting here now, you know, it looks easy. I've got a full-time job, I'm, but it's been 20 years. It's been 20 years of just trying to work through with these connections to try and tell good stories and to see uh, some good projects come through. So I just feel very happy and lucky and I hope that I can, uh, give that back to somebody else too well speaking of give that back to somebody else i think that you've already um made that ambition from what excuse me from what i heard you say um that one of the things you do with writing is to and if i get this wrong please forgive me and please correct me but that you also write for the next generation Mm -hmm. for uh, for people growing up, like like you did, with the fascination and an interest, and you know, just had to know thirst for knowledge, uh, for them to find new books in the library, and well, I, yeah, it's something that I'm always listening for different perspectives um, because it's so important to be highlighting different kinds of people. So. For example, we're just finishing up uh, Women's History Month as we record this podcast, which is an extraordinary opportunity to talk about all kinds of people in the space program. Mm -hmm. By coincidence, we just had the first Native American woman um, come back from a space mission. Her name is Nicole Mann. So I was able to interview her because NASA generously made her available to journalists. And um, I asked her about her journey. And so uh, she was kind enough to talk a little bit about it. And she said much the same things I'm saying to you right now, how important it was to share what happens with younger people so that they see that there are options and that they can um, pursue things, um, hopefully that are of interest to them if that's possible, or at least to know the first type of questions to ask and the resources to find, you know, for those of us who may not have as much privilege. So um, just getting in touch with all these interesting individuals, you know, I had, I was featuring uh, black women, I was featuring um, shuttle astronauts, uh, international space station astronauts. I was just trying to go, different eras, different times, different uh, types of people, like I said, they all had such great stories to tell. And they all were immensely positive, even if they had faced uh, barriers. You know, they acknowledged them. They were sort of realistic about what had happened, but they also had 
a lot of hope because they see things are changing and they're working to make things change as well. It's very important. They realize that they're mentors and that their job is to try and share what happened and to make things a little bit better. So I'm just trying to take their words and to make it something interesting so that people actually read it. Um, it's one of the best things I get to do in my job, I think. It's just such an honor. I do, I do um, social media for some other companies, and that's one thing I took the opportunity to do was also like uh, Black History Month, Women's History Month, whatever. I thought, okay, great. This gives me a chance to find something that fits in the voice and the business of that company and put information out there that people don't know but would love to know. You know, people, if you don't put it out there and they don't find it, and when you do, they're like, oh, yeah, and this person looks like me. And this person came from where I came from. We've had the same experiences. So they understand I could do this, you know, or my child could do this. I think that's fantastic. And you're right. It's a fantastic opportunity. Uh, but, yeah, writing for the next generation. Uh, also was noticing that, uh, yeah, I made a note, too, on space law. When you talked about space lawyers, I know whenever you have to every, I guess, every course of study, college or uni has uh, a law class to take but space law and i've made notes about that space lawyer i never thought about that was that a fun class i mean law classes for me were hard okay yeah um the professor was phenomenal he was an aerospace professor so we had both space professors and aviation professors it was really Uh, good two different departments so one was very much worried about stuff that happens in Earth, like in the Earth's atmosphere, and the other one outside of Earth's atmosphere. So uh-huh. we were learning about the Federal Aviation Administration. That was really important, actually, because I don't know if folks realize, but the Federal Aviation Administration, for example, they're the ones that are overseeing all those space tourism companies, right? So Virgin Galactic, Blue Origin, all the ones in the United States that fly people up there. They have to abide by what are called FAA, that's a short-term, FAA rules. So that's important. And then when you go out further, there's a bunch of treaties you have to think about, right? There's the Outer Space Mm -hmm. Treaty. There's also the Moon Treaty. Those are by the United Nations. And they govern things like how to act peacefully out there. So, you know, hopefully no weapons, for example. On the Moon, um, there's language about trying not to claim anything for anybody. So it's almost like Antarctica, but on the Moon. That's kind of the same framework they're sort of aiming for. Um, But what's interesting, I'm not a legal expert by any means, by the way, anybody listening in, so please, you know, double check anything I say in this field. (laughs) From what I understand, you know, asterisk, 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 but from what I understand, one of the challenges with space law is that it was made back in the 1960s when we had basically, what, two countries and a handful of companies supporting the government, and that was that was it. That was all the space industry was uh, in the very early days, although obviously it's changed quickly. So they didn't think back then that it was possible for a little company, for example, to send something to the moon. And that opens up a bunch of questions, right, about responsibility, about um, property, a whole lot of things. And so all of these older laws have now to be interpreted with the new information coming in. And so, hey, if you're a budding uh, lawyer, this might be something to get into because we're going to be very active on the moon soon, um, as I might want to talk about in a minute, huh? Oh, yes. Yes, indeed. And uh, talk about the law. You made me think about uh, November. Uh, I officiated a wedding of uh, two women, one I'd known since she was a kid, and uh, her wife, after I got through with them, they were hitched, but she was marrying a doctor, a physical therapist, but... Um, the one that I knew from childhood, Sarah, is a Navy fighter pilot. So when I'm there, that's probably not the proper term, but anyway. And so when I'm there, I'm meeting all her friends that are the bridesmaids, and they're all parts of Na- they're all Navy gals, and they're all like, "Well, I'm Jag. Well, I'm the weapons specialist, and all these things." And I'm thinking, these wonderful, beautiful young women. Had these careers, um, I think I had somewhere where I was going with that, but I cannot remember. And it maybe it had to do with law or um, or the move. I don't know. Maybe they'll go. There. Well, what I think I is it's a very positive example. These people are taking on highly technical fields, 
This is exactly the stuff that the astronaut program looks for. They always want folks that work in what are called operational environments. So submarines, you know, that's an example, right? <laughs> Out in Antarctica, that's another example. So these are the leaders of tomorrow in terms of doing really interesting things. Oh, yeah, it was an absolute thrill and exciting to be around and very energetic. Uh, we're going to talk about moon. We're going to talk about – I want to talk sometime about, if you if we have time, because um, I might as well give you a wish list and see what fits, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Canada, Canada's part in the space program. Canada ain't just sitting back anymore. Canada's moving ahead from what I understand. Uh, the Canadarm. And collaboration that book I haven't gotten that book yet but I've heard you talk about the Canada and I've looked it up and oh my gosh uh, also uh, an astronaut named Hatfield yeah it's, uh, it, it's it's just such a story I wrote the book there were many reasons I wrote the book but one of them was just to say this is a country you should be paying attention to and certainly I'm biased I live here um, I chose to make my career here um, you know, I'm a Canadian citizen, so I'm very proud of where I am and about the community that I'm a part of. But we've done a lot of things that I'm not sure that folks realize. Like, for example, um, not even talking about the Canadian space program per se, but about Canadians in space. The thing that landed on the moon first, that actually touched the moon first on Apollo 11 before Neil Armstrong, was Canadian-made legs on the lunar land. Oh, really? Yeah, most folks don't know about that. So that's one thing, right? Um, right. Yeah, exactly. So there's a lot of interesting little stories of Canadians that are in space. Um, another name I like to bring out every so often just to uh, maybe freak people out a bit, and I mean this in a good way, there are Canadian <laughs> astronauts that are not in the Canadian Space Agency. Think about that for a second. So oh. one example is uh, Drew Foistel. So he is a joint U.S. and Canadian citizen. And he is uh, an active astronaut today. So sometimes you might see him go up in space. And when you do, remember, he's not just a uh, American. He's also a Canadian. So there's a lot of ways that we're involved that uh, folks won't even expect. But to get to your Canada on question, um, sorry to keep freaking you out, but it's just fun. Uh, yeah, I love it. <laughs> yeah. Canada arm, as many people might know, but maybe not, it's a robotic arm. And it's changed over the years, you know, because the first version was made in the 1970s. And think about computers from the 1970s, right? Things have changed a little bit, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you can put them in your pocket. You can put them on your uh, on your wristwatch. You can put them in your body, you know, depending on the need, right? A little different than, you know, the, the single room computer that was joked about in the movie Apollo 13, right? So anyway, right. there are three versions of Canadarm. Um, there have been updates to each of these ideas. But anyway, the first version was on the space shuttle. It was used for picking up satellites, helping astronauts do spacewalks. Um, later in the program, it was used also to look for broken tiles on the shuttle's belly. That was after uh, the Columbia accident, which maybe you can read about. It was uh, complicated. But anyway, one of the problems was broken tiles. Um, later on, in the 2000s, they built Canadarm2. Chris Hadfield, who you mentioned earlier, helped install it. And um, this still lives on the space station right now, along with uh, a buddy, Dexter, which is a hand, and they do space station maintenance. <laughs> I'm serious. So sometimes um, people from the ground control it, sometimes people in space control it, but um, they're used every day on the International Space Station to fix things up, which is incredible. And then um, the new one, Canadarm3, is going to be on a brand new NASA moon um, station, a moon space station. And that's going to get into sort of the next generation of uh, moon exploration. So right now we're at the International Space Station. Things are going well. But what NASA and many other countries want to do is they want to push a little bit further. And so they're starting with a bit of familiar territory for those of us who are of a certain age, a bit older than myself. But the Apollo program still is a big inspiration for even folks like me who are millennials. And so they're going to go back. And um, we're recording this, as I said, in late March. And... On April the 3rd, so maybe by the time you listen to this, it may have happened or maybe not, but April the 3rd, 2023, listen in, there's going to be uh, four astronauts that are named on a mission going around the moon called Artemis II. And that mission is going to lift off as soon as 2024. It's fully funded. Please realize this. I realize that folks that may have been following the space program and seeing promises of moon missions, this one's actually funded. So uh, assuming that we can keep that budget, 
we're fine, you know, to launch the thing next year. And we'll have four people on board, and one of them is supposed to be from the Canadian Space Agency. The other three are going to be from NASA. And as a Canadian, I can't think of a higher honor. It's just such a tribute to our space program, and I'm so grateful that NASA is able to give us this chance and also that we have um, the right talent to take the opportunity for it. That is that is magnificent, and I am so happy to hear this. Uh, I'm not even Canadian, but I'm thrilled for all my Canadian friends. I'm sorry. I'm thrilled. I'm just having to take a moment to. I have to take a moment just to take all this in. It's an extraordinary thing um, to be even alive, um, able to witness this. I think for everybody in the world, it's uh, a privilege just to know that this is happening. Obviously, yes, we need to do better um, as a the Artemis program rather than Apollo. So one thing that they're doing, for example, they're pledging to bring women to the moon. They're also pledging to bring people of color to the moon. And that's just the start. There are going to be other countries besides uh, the U.S. and Canada. Japan, for example, is probably going to have an astronaut there sooner or later. So um, things might be changing re- in a really interesting way in a few years. So uh, we'll have to see how the budgets keep going, obviously. But uh, it might get to be a multi-world exploration situation for humans. So if you're uh, very young, you know, obviously starting your school or uh, working through your school, you know, this is something to think about. You don't necessarily even have to join the space program as uh, an engineer or an astronaut, but you could be thinking about entertainment options. And by the way, entertainment folks, thank you for all the wonderful movies lately. Um, (laughs) The Martian. Uh-huh. That was the movie I was waiting for after Apollo 13. It was a long wait, but anyway, The Martian, beautiful stuff, right? Um, the TV series, For All Mankind, I adore it. I'm obsessed with it. The folks that rebooted Star Trek and Star Wars, thank you. You know, we have endless content and endless hours to entertain our our, our children. You know, I'm really, really grateful to uh, everybody for producing such great things to keep folks interested because space is not just about the missions. It's also about the community, it's about uh, the steampunk, as you mentioned earlier, right? There's people who dress as steampunk yeah. astronauts, and I love it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. My friend Trish um, at Atlanta Steampunk Expo, well, I, I met her there. Uh, yeah, one of her costumes was steampunk Major Tom. Oh, my gosh. That must have been incredible. <laughs> and she won the costume contest with it. But, yeah, the imagination, and that's where um, – that's where it's all so beautiful is that your imagination can roam and your imagination can become not imaginary. It can become real uh, and can make things happen. It can certainly make things happen. That's why I love science fiction so, so much. <laughs> and thanks for heading us up with the – oh, yeah, yeah. We've, um, I've heard you talk about um, – Different things like with uh, what is it like with AI, robotics? Um, these things are uh, that are going to be changing a lot in the future. They're already starting in ways that we don't know. Robotics, AI, medicine, rocketry, but AI mm-hmm. think, might have been when you were talking to Fraser Kane. You were talking about relate to uh, data in Star Trek with how he would uh, what flutters I to add things up or compute. It's something. funny that you bring up AI, right? Because one thing that's really in the water in the tech community right now is that uh, chat GPT and all the different applications. Now, I'm just learning myself, but I was reading a newsletter today. I get a number of them. And the newsletter was saying, now it's time to start learning. And it was linking to, for example, a brand new Bill Gates column. I don't know about your show notes. Maybe I could try and track it down for you. You could put it in there. But anyway, there was a brand new Bill Gates column where he was talking about the significance of AI and how it's going to be changing. And certainly given his role uh, in computers and in charity over the years, his, his words carry a lot of weight. So I said, all right, fine. So I started to poke around a little bit. And um, the number of applications is just beginning. That's really what I'm seeing. I don't quite understand it yet, and I'm certainly nowhere near an expert of it. I'm just sort of an interested observer. Mm-hmm. But thinking about how we could use all of these tools for education, for um trying to figure out information in general. You know, a lot of our lives are still just data processing, all of us, you know, where we're just moving emails from one spot to another, for example, right? And um, I realize there's also a lot of fear out there, and I don't mean to diminish that, but my hope is that maybe we'd be able to save a little bit of time, you know, and not have to be doing all these monotonous, repetitive tasks, give it to something that would be happy to do it, I would assume, 
and then maybe mm-hmm. we can free ourselves up for more steampunk creations or something that's uh, a little bit more dear to our hearts or will benefit our community. So just keep reading into it, I would say, if you're, if you're interested. There's just so much out there. I'm afraid mm-hmm. if I say something more specific, I'm going to date myself because it's changing so quickly, <laughs> you know? Because I was reading stuff and they're saying, you know, this version is very different from this other version that was only released two weeks ago. And I'm going, oh, my goodness, you know, how much is this going to change in a year? So mm-hmm. anyway... Just to start reading into it, and uh, hopefully you're going to find something that's interesting. Oh, absolutely. Um, and thanks again for the um, the exciting news that we got something to, next week, the announcement of the Moon Crew, I think, uh, on Monday um, for the Artemis II. Yep. I think, and I think right now, especially after the last few years or any time, we need something good and exciting. Yeah. That. Lots of people and communities can get excited about and No, exactly. I'm trying to think about the ripple effects of this because, you know, certainly the uh, the epicenter in that day will be the announcement, but you don't know who's going to be listening and who's going to be influenced by it. And I think that's really important to remember because Apollo generated all of these unexpected things. One way that I came in connection with that, and this does have an entertainment link, is Back in 2019, not too long ago, they had the 50th anniversary. Now, clearly that was a different time, right? It was pre-pandemic, but all the same, not too long ago. And Mm -hmm. I got connected with all kinds of really interesting people in the entertainment industry. And they were saying, I was influenced by Apollo. And what I'm going to do now is I'm going to make a documentary about the mission and collect information about it that was harder to find. And so what Mm -hmm. they would do is they would take this old footage, for example, and they would make it clearer, you know, 4K or similar, and then they would re-release it. Or they would go diving into the archives of all of these different stations, like NBC, CBS, etc., who were broadcasting at that time, and then try and pull out things that were not broadcast as often or not broadcast at all, or tapes that have just kind of been stowed away, and then again, make that clearer, make that more public. other folks were creating whole websites where you could follow missions in real time and pull out clips um, or creating books. Um, And these are folks in entertainment, okay? Like what they were doing was they were treating themselves as archivists. I think that that's Ah! extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah. It really shows to me the range of skills, clearly, that Hollywood and all the other affiliated industries have. And I really have so much respect because it's a tough job. It's a tough job to go in and clean up old footage and play tapes that are 50 or 60 years old, right? But they did it, <laughs> and they did a wonderful job. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, by the way, I had a message from um, a listener. Um, his name is Peter. He's in Chicago, and he said, I have been looking forward to this episode, and he says, the picture, because I had seen, he had made a comment to me, he sent me a message on, uh, or put a comment on Instagram saying, I love how she's rocking that scarf. Oh, you and mean my profile said, picture, yeah. Yeah, and then, he's, so, and then he well, messaged me again saying. that, because we're on radio, but yeah, so um, I'm Canadian, okay, and so um, I foolishly did a Canadian thing, and I said, I'm going to get my picture taken in the winter. And so pre-pandemic, I had a person come into my house and uh, take a bunch of pictures of me. She's a wonderful local photographer, by the way. It was really good to support um, a business like that. And um, it was her idea to step outside. And I mean, I'm not afraid of a little snow and cold, obviously, because I'm there, but I had to dress up a bit for it. So I didn't wear a hat. It wasn't too, too uh, cold that day. It was probably around freezing. I won't bother with the Fahrenheit Celsius conversions, but it was close to freezing. (laughs) There was a mound of snow in the backyard. And to stay a little bit warm, I wrapped this scarf around me, and the scarf is full of all these different colors. And um, I was just trying to look confident, I guess. And that's something that's really important in entertainment, I suppose, but it's also important (laughs) when you're trying to get a business shot taken because this is going to be appearing everywhere. So in my case, I was lucky. It was appearing on a book cover. That's why I got it done. But it also is my profile picture on space.com. So if you happen to go over to the website and browse some of the articles I've been talking about, you can see me grinning um, in front of our fence um, with this multicolored scarf on, trying not to look cold. Um, it was extraordinary, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, we checked the books. Uh, 
the website is elizabethhowell.ca, and I will be sharing on all of my social media, not just Madam Perry Salon, but all my social media, uh, the link to get Elizabeth Howell's books, uh, to find her website, and uh, <laughs> so you can enjoy this. Yeah, this is, and then I think somebody else got mad at me because they left me a message and they said, did you get the Doctor Who reference? She is the doctor. And I go, <laughs> okay. And then I listened to another podcast, and somebody else said that to you. Are you the doctor? Yeah, yeah, I'm the doctor. So, well, you never know. The doctor morphs every couple of years, right? So, exactly. Um, my favorite Doctor Who episode, by the way, and my apologies, I realize that there's many fandoms within there, but I'm going to stick with one. Um, I really love the Waters on Mars episode. I just thought it was extraordinary. That's a newer one, I realize, but um, he's my favorite doctor um, of the ones that I've seen. And he also just plays it so well. And it's one of those great science fiction stories. I'm trying not to spoil it, but basically they're trying to solve a mystery on Mars. And the problem is they have to make a choice. And the choice is going to have bad consequences no matter what you do, right? And so you see him struggling with it. You see the others struggling with it. Um, I felt it was just a wonderful tale. Um, so anyway, yes, I'm, I'm aware of Doctor Who. It's a great, great franchise and so diverse, you know, to get back to our themes here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, people were warning me then, why don't you, how are you going to talk to her if you don't know that's the Doctor? And I go, okay, okay. So, <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, that's, that's a commitment. That's like trying to follow, I don't know, <laughs> the various variations of Star Wars these days, right? Because there's probably about 10 or 12 new Star Wars franchises. I'm losing track right same with star trek it's probably at least half mm-hmm. a dozen or eight there's stuff coming out weekly it's wonderful there's actually a problem of too much you know as opposed to too little so <laughs> you just gotta you just gotta commit yourself and say okay i'm gonna spend a couple of hours really following this franchise and then go for it but they're all good anything you want to choose any of those franchises just just have at her it's really great <laughs> hey let's take a few seconds back you mentioned something about i think did you use the word challenges or something um I'm not sure. But that brings me to another question. Surely in all of your adventures, and you've had some extraordinary, I mean, spectacular things. Um, because I know from my husband's work that, you know, the satellites uh, most usually launch from Kazakhstan because of its position, the equator and stuff. And I know you've uh, traveled and been there. But I heard a funny story. Well, if you might have one you'd rather tell, but I heard a very funny story uh, from you about going to the launch of uh, was the shuttle was it STS one thirty one? Oh, you mean the very last launch where uh, I had some trouble getting in and uh, had to that, have that's a, a police story. escort. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, so let me back it up a bit. So, for those of you who haven't been to the Kennedy Space Center and the area around it, it's in Orlando, Florida. Uh, not properly in Orlando, but on the coastline about an hour away in a little area sort of close to Titusville, Cape Canaveral, like those communities. It's also swamp, okay? This is context for what's going to come next. I arrived there just a few hours before the launch. It was the best I could do with my part-time job at the time. And I'm a Canadian, as I've mentioned a couple of times. And because I'm Canadian, there were two or there were two badging offices I had to go to. There was the normal badging office for Americans and for everybody else where I would go and get my badge. And it was open, I think, 24-7 or close to it. Then they also had an international badging office, very kind of them, but it only had limited hours. And this shuttle launch was supposed to go, you're going to have to check the time on me, but it was around dawn. So probably about six in the morning. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if you can imagine, um, the first interaction with police that night, there were two of them. And I must say with a lot of respect, they were both very positive. So, you know, I really have a lot of respect for the folks that were there. And I realize that sometimes there's a bit of fear, but in my case, obviously I was very lucky. I also realize I have privilege. I just want to sort of put that all up front because I realize that there are sensitivities on the topic, but um, very luckily, I was there in the middle of the night waiting for this badging office to open so I could go and get my international pass. And um, I actually had to, you know, go to the bathroom at one point and I went out in the swamp and it was only afterwards that I found the signs saying that there were, I think, crocodiles out there. I'm trying to remember if it was crocodiles. Oh, but anyway, so that was my first uh, bit of fear. The next one was a state trooper came by and he had some really good questions about why there was me and a couple of other cars kind of lurking near this government office in the middle of the night. And so me and a few other journalists had to sort of explain what was going on. And luckily, like I said, he was very respectful and everything was fine. You never, anyway. So it, it turned out okay. 
then um, now I finally had my badge. You know, they opened up the office. I got the information I needed to process my application. I got my badge, and then it was off to the launch site. So um, I had a little diagram, a little map, and I was driving out using the vehicle assembly building, which is that huge building you see that houses the, uh, back then the space shuttle and right now um, a lot of other missions. So it's a huge, big building that you can see from a distance and that was my landmark i knew i had to go there because that's where the press site is but you also need to follow the directions of nasa officials that are along the road and so they kept steering me and telling me to go on certain roads and it's my very first time there as a driver i've been there on buses before but never as a driver so i'm obviously following their directions very closely trying to be diligent and so they put me in a parking lot um, which was a big field I turned off the car and I stood up and I looked around and I realized that I was in the wrong field. There were two areas where they were supposed to be oh, watching gosh. the launch and I was in the VIP area, which is kind of cool because uh, <laughs> you never know who you're going to meet out there. You know, there were all sorts of celebrities. So it might've been a good networking opportunity, but my yeah. job was lying way across the way over where the countdown clock is. And that's where the media are supposed to be. So I said, okay, what am I going to do now? So, I went back to one of the um, parking lot attendants, and I'm calling it a parking lot, but you have to realize it's a big old field, you know, so it's not very formal. There's no concrete involved. But I said to the attendant, this is my badge, because I had a media badge, and I said, I think I'm in the wrong field. And so we had a problem at that point, because at this point, we're probably 45 minutes away from the launch, which is very, very close to launch in launch terms. It's like tomorrow, right, or, you know, the next second. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm in the wrong spot and there's no way I can get back because there's cars flooding in. So what they had to do was to find the, um, I guess they have a local area or sort of a local set of officials that are responsible for security and police. And so that's who they found. And um, yeah, they escorted me out of there. It was uh, quite the experience, I have to say. So they, had to, they had to escort me out of there under police escort because there was no other way through the traffic safely. Um, and they were urging me to put on my flashers, like all this stuff. And so it was almost like being part of a parade. And so oh, um, they led me out of there and they brought me over to the press site. And what was funny was showing up and all of my friends going, you know, where were you? And I said, well, you know, um, almost got eaten by a crocodile, um, <laughs> you know, got into the wrong field, had a police escort. You know, it sounded like a very wild story. And all of this is happening, again, to be clear, at 435 in the morning. So the whole thing has this extraordinary, I'm almost thinking of that, that Shakespeare play, A Midsummer Night's Dream or similar, right? You know those plays that he has where all the rules yes. go out the window? It yes. felt like that. It just was weird. And I arrived, it was during the 10-minute hold before the shuttle goes up. So it was really only about 15 or 20 minutes before the actual launch. Um, the other thing I remember from that night, which was less extraordinary from my own perspective, but just overall, was we're just waiting. We're in the last minutes. And we saw the International Space Station going across, and we were making jokes. We're going, oh, yeah, the shuttle's going in the right direction. No problem here, right? And then uh -huh. it went right through the moon. It went right through the middle of the moon as we were standing there. And somebody whipped out their phone. This is early smartphones back then, but they whipped out their phone, and they said, uh, if we were standing just a, a mile, you know, this way or that way, we would have missed that. We wouldn't have seen it go through the moon. So uh, it was just a, a wonderful night. And then it was capped, of course, by... STS-131 safely launching um, with the sunrise almost. It was just the most extraordinary experience. It was my third launch, um, and I have to thank everybody who got me through the experience safely, you know, all the way from uh, the state trooper to the uh, police escort to all of the uh, the badging officials. You know, I feel um, I wouldn't have got there without a lot of their help. Um, you never know who's going to guide you to the right spot, I guess. So you just got to be open and sort of <laughs> flexible for the circumstances and, uh it makes for a good story in the end, I have to say, but you also got to remember all the little help you got along the way and all the luck that you had. <laughs> oh, yeah. That is such yeah. a, uh, a spectacular story. Uh, oh, and also thank the uh, alligators who decided, no, I'm full. Let her yeah, go. I'm full. I'm full, exactly. So, yeah, yeah I'm good. Go. You know, I would imagine it's much like being on a set. Um, I've never been that lucky, but anyway, you know how things can change in a minute, right? The actors might be doing something a little bit different than expected, sort of going off script, or maybe something goes technically wrong with one of your cameras or with some of the effects, and then you just have to adapt, right? Or even when you're outside and the weather is terrible, which I realize is always a problem on location shoots, um, 
I'm fairly obsessed with the House of Dragons uh, franchise and also its predecessor, Game of Thrones. And I love watching the behind the scenes for these reasons, right? Because they're constantly in whatever, Northern Ireland, and they're getting flooded because there's water everywhere. And they're always on some kind of an island trying to build temporary structures. And then, of course, you see it on screen at the finished product, and it looks like nothing. But obviously, there's a lot of hard work that goes in by thousands of people <laughs> to get the actors through the experience safely. And so that's what it kind of felt like, if I could maybe use the metaphor. That's what it kind of feels like during a launch. You realize that a lot of things have to go well, including the weather, in order for the thing to get off the ground. That <laughs> that is you know that is 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 movie worthy itself your whole experience but yeah it's a lot of things that happen a lot that goes on behind and uh, but that that whole story I mean I, I know I heard part of it but hearing you tell it here I think I think it's thrilling and I think I mean I know at the time maybe not so much but. What an extraordinary experience, and I know that is only one thing you've gone through to, as you said, write for the readers, the next generation, write for them. And do you have any idea how many people really look up to you when they read? I don't know if you get messages. Um, I know that on digital media outlets. I get all kinds of messages, yeah. Um, Folks in entertainment would know that you get the spectrum. I want to be clear about that. But for the ones that are positive, I get some really interesting stories. Um, You just never know who's reading you, right? Um, One thing that you and I, I guess, were talking about, for example, was uh, I was lucky enough to have the Vice President of the United States, her office, reach out to me about, um, it's almost a year ago now. And um, I won't go into all the circumstances. I want to make sure to preserve everybody's privacy with the other situation. But, you know, we, we had a good story that sort of came out of the interaction. And uh, But what I thought was interesting about it was it was a moment where I thought you just never know who's reading you. And so there are moments where you might be feeling in a job where you should be slacking off or not putting in your best effort or um, maybe cutting a corner or two, right? And mm-hmm. um in this case, when um, when they had noticed something that I had written, I actually was um, working in the office by myself that day. I, I work remotely, but in our virtual office, I was basically by myself because there was a set of holidays that were sort of intersecting at the same time. So I was principally in charge with other folks that I could call upon in uh, with questions if I needed it. But for the most part, it was me and then other folks kind of coming in periodically to make sure that everything was okay. So I was mostly on my own. And so that's a lot of responsibility, right? But I took it very seriously, and um, I produced a few stories, and uh, that's when it got to their attention. They happened to read one of them. So it really is a good reminder, I think, that you never know who's watching. You never know where your next job might be coming from or the next uh, neat connection in the industry, whatever industry that you're in. And so you just keep putting out good stuff, right? And then over time, you build out a library. Like this podcast here, for example, right? Look how it's built in just a, a very short time. The reason that I agreed to come on here was I looked at your guests and I said, my goodness, you know, I could see that there was consistency and I could see that you had really interesting people and really interesting conversations and that's what made me agree to it, right? And um, so again, it comes down to putting out your best every single time, even if you're feeling a little tired or lazy, um, if I may use the word, but um, you just got to try and show up the best that you can in that day and then hopefully folks recognize it. Absolutely, yeah, um, definitely. You remind me a lot of um, um, Arden Marine, the actress. Um, she's mm-hmm. on Insatiable on Netflix, and a lot of what you said reminds me of some things that she did when she was talking about her book, Little Miss, Little Compton, uh, about especially about the pivot when things aren't going the way you need them to, or what to yeah. pivot, do something else, but always be there, always show up. And just keep going. And this is fantastic. And who, I mean, you know, Vice President Kamala Harris. That's so cool. Anyway, and and for any clients I've had that or have coming up that would say, oh, I don't want to do that interview. I don't want to be on that show. That's not important enough. Look, I have people come on my show that I never thought I would have. And sometimes they ask me. So, you know. You never know. Exactly. Listen to Art Marine and listen to Elizabeth Howell. 
Yeah, and just uh, put out your best work when you can. I realize that we're humans, obviously, and we get tired, we get frustrated, but you just sort of show up the best you can in the moment. Um, and, um, you know, sometimes even embracing that hard moment and just trying to say it's going to get a little bit better. I'll, I'll give you a lighter example just to sort of maybe end things off. But <laughs> when I was in Kazakhstan, I was very lucky to be in Kazakhstan, and I went out there, I paid my own money, and I was uh, privileged to be there for two launches. One had a Canadian and one had a backup launch, and the Canadian was a backup on the second launch. So anyway, I was there in December. It's very cold in Baikonur, Kazakhstan in December, even for a Canadian, okay? It was probably, I'm not going <laughs> to okay. be able to do the conversion, but it was about minus 20 Celsius, minus 25 Celsius, which is just plenty cold. We'll just, we'll just put yeah. it that way. So anyway, plenty cold. Um, I had underdressed for the weather due to a series of travel problems, um, I was sort of mixed up with my time zones and my temperatures, and I, I went out there underdressed, as well as many others of us. So we're frozen, trying to do our work. Um, our equipment was failing. Um, everything was going wrong. And then what was funny was we had to go to a series of places. We had to start at where the rocket was rolling out from its facility. Then we had to go to a crossing, a railroad crossing, to see the rocket move across and meet with a few folks. And then we were going to the pad. So there were three areas we had to be. So point one was where we got kind of frozen. And so we said, okay, great. Let's get in this bus. Uh, we had a little bus about, uh, I guess, a 10-seater. So they took us in this bus across the plane over to the railroad tracks. And it was really early in the morning. It was probably about, well, not really early. It was about 7.30. But we had been up all night because of travel mm -hmm. problems. And uh, I was exhausted. But I just said, okay, this is interesting. So I saw from a distance the uh, the rocket going across the crossing. And then I thought to myself, all right, I'm feeling rather cold right now. I, I just want to get back in that bus and warm up for a bit before our next stop. So there were about two people in the bus in the back of it as passengers who were just deciding to stay warm, which I can't fault them. It was quite cold. And then there was a driver. So I tried to open the door. And it's like a minivan door, okay, so mm -hmm. it's sliding. But in this case, it refused to slide. Now, I'm not a graceful person in the best of circumstances. And so I thought to myself, <laughs> I must be getting the mechanism wrong or something, right? So um, I'm, I'm hauling on it with all I got, which probably wasn't much given the hour and given, you know, how tired I was feeling. But anyway, I'm trying. And that door is not budging. And so the people inside are stuck. I'm stuck outside. And then the driver, who I guess was very experienced with such things, he speaks Russian only, right? And I had a little bit of Russian, but not enough to really communicate the problem. But he could see, right? So anyway, he whips mm -hmm. outside. He takes one look at it, and he begins to disassemble the door in the middle of the Kazakh plane. It was just extraordinary. Like, he was the mechanic you want anywhere. You know, I would bring this guy on a moon mission. He knows exactly what to do. <laughs> so, you know, thank you to that anonymous person. I should have asked the name, but I was um, not thinking at the time. He disassembled that door. He reassembled the door, and he got us inside within minutes. I mean, it's the unsung heroes, right, of the program that really mm -hmm. give you perspective, you know, because here I am, you know, this comfortable Canadian just whining about the cold, and he's like, no, I'm going to get down on my hands and knees and actually fix this. So oh. you just learn a lot. You learn a lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is magnificent. Uh, Elizabeth, I told you, uh, that's a great story. Thank you for being so generous with your time and being my guest and sharing your work and your books, uh, your articles, and your stories tonight. Thank you so much. We'll be looking forward to your announcement, to the announcement Monday, about who's going to be on that NASA moon crew, Artemis II. I am so excited. And I, as I said, I promised you I would let you out early because I know you have an early day tomorrow. So thank you so much. Elizabeth, please come back. <laughs> I would love to come back. And thank you for everybody taking the time to listen. I hope that um, whoever you are, whatever industry that you're pursuing, that you try and have a bit of fun, have some adventures, um, try and lift up the folks around you. That's really what I think is the most important thing, no matter what you're doing. So good luck to everybody listening. I really appreciate your time. Okay, and we appreciate you. Thank you so much, Elizabeth Howell. Get her books, I promise. Start with Why Am I Taller? That is fun. <laughs> and uh, and we'll, talk to, uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks so much. And uh, you know what I always say, everybody's got to swing. Be good to each other. Be good to yourselves. I think you're all wonderful. Goodbye.